last Sunday, Barbie took the new award <clears throat> for cinematic and box office achievement. <clears throat> In the Denison Report, reviewer Simon Western explained Barbie's popularity. Disclaimer here, haven't seen it, don't plan to, but proceeding. Explaining Barbie's popularity. It reaffirmed the chosen ideology of our times, which is American dream individualism, which makes us feel that we are filled with divine, with individual agency and are in control, and we can choose our futures. Or, in other words, we are full of our self-centered and God-denying selves, and we are running over. The new atheism and Christless Christianity is being visited upon us in judgment. We're living in a time of a rewriting of the doctrine of original sin, as someone has said, into the easy conscience of the human race. Our age may be called the toxic salad of superficiality and shallowness. We don't think very deeply, even when we do really think seriously. We are told to look within ourselves for self-discovery. In a recent Georgia Power celebrates Atlanta Pride. I'm quoting. This was the ad that was in the AJC from Georgia Power said that, say this. This was their ad. We believe by fully embracing and empowering everyone's right to be their most authentic selves, we create communities worthy of celebrating. We are beaming with pride to support LGBTQIA plus Georgians in building a community that's full of love, light, in color, creating a better Georgia together. So Georgia Power is in on the act as well. Well, I want to invite theologian S. Lewis Johnson, Jr. to offer the step that we will take into Romans 3, 21. Here's what we need, and I'm quoting. Paul has challenged human pride with its peacock feathers in chapters 1 and 2 of Romans. He has chosen convincingly man's fatal disease of sin, sin original and total. And that makes man so pitiful in his state that he is for the most part blind to his sin. So here we are. Now, I said I wanted you to look at Romans 3.20. Will you look down at that? I hope you have your Bibles in front of you. Do we have the text up here on the screen, the full text? Aha. Uh -huh. uh, good. We're going to keep that up because if you don't have your Bible or if you, however you want to work with this visually, look down, look up, but we're here. I want you to be seeing some things. If you will notice that in the 20th verse, this is the lead-in to what is said with the two words of verse 21. And verse 20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's what Paul has been the trained rabbinical student he was. Writing this magnificent epistle. It's hard to exaggerate its importance in the story of redemption and the, and the role of the church. That he has demonstrated that everybody in the human race, whether you're religious or unreligious, whether you're moral or immoral, Jew or Gentile, no one, this is the real inclusionism, that all, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but no one can be justified by the works of the law. No one. The mirror, the mirror. We have the occasion to look at it in the mornings. 
I don't, I cannot speak for you, but I can speak for myself. It's not really a very pleasant moment at that time when you look into the mirror, take whatever your worst time of day and worst self is. You look into the mirror and you see what you see. Well, there are probably things that have to be done. I won't get into the particulars, but you know, with, with hair, and whatever degree to which you have it and which you would like to dress it, and whatever has to be done as you see in the mirror. But for a man, would you think about taking the mirror and saying, well, I'm going to take that mirror down and shave? Or the lady, I'm going to take that mirror down and uh, I'm going to work with my hair a little bit different this morning. That's absurd, isn't it? We don't take the mirror to do the work which it reflects that needs to be done. That's the law. The law is like a mirror. It shows us our condition, our true state. But we can't use it in order to get into acceptance with God Almighty and be approved by him, which he asked what he asked for is perfect character. So, verse 20. But now let's look at this and how it's going to proceed through this passage. So important here. We live in a time when the patients are running the insane asylum. The Supreme Court has given legal status to same-sex marriage. If one defends traditional marriage, marriage between a man and a woman, if you've forgotten, he or she could be in danger of losing their job and or fined, fined for not celebrating for same-sex marriage. You are a bigot if you defend opposite-sex public bathrooms. And the current presidential race presents us with choices we wish we didn't have to make. But what is mankind's greatest need? What is it? Is it that, uh, may I say what it, it doesn't need? It's not that we need a new president of the United States of America. Ad nauseum we're told that somehow we can turn the corner and be all better people. No, it's not our greatest need. It's not that we honor God's moral law. Oh, does maybe that rattle your cage a bit? Oh, if we can just get God's moral law back in place, it's not our greatest need. It's not socialism or government solutions to human problems. If government could even do that. It's not the control of immigration into the United States. Even though it was such a dismal situation that it is. It is not even to defeat our enemies at home or abroad. What is our greatest problem? This is where we are in this place in Romans. I understand this is dropping in on this section, having not gone through the work, important work of the first two and a half chapters. But our greatest need is not to know how for us to get to God. It's how to get God to us. That's the greatest need. That, and how is that solved? Well, here we are in Romans. I say this about Romans in this passage. Just another, I want to put this on the marquee, highlight it. Some have said, many have preceded me, of much greater theological stature than I am, that this passage, or the book of Romans, is kind of a little Bible. Yeah, Romans is a little Bible. And this section, 3, 21 to 28, is a little Romans. Whoa, that tells us something. That's not a thought, it's not original with me, but I sign on to it. And so here we are, we're presented with what is the circumstance for this passage. Here it is, get the setting. We are presented with a kind of global <coughs> courtroom drama. The defendants have been tried by the judge of the universe. God Almighty, and the gavel comes down. The pagan, the moralist, the religious man, the courtroom sits in hushed silence. The verdict is rendered, rendered guilty as charged. All are sinners. Every human being is guilty, no exceptions. Sin has affected our total being, body, soul, spirit, intellect, 
conscience, will, heart. We are sinners by imputation. We are born sinners. We can do nothing to please God in ourselves. Nothing within the natural man can give man any merit in God's sight to make him acceptable to God. Nothing. Nothing. Man hates God and without the restraints of God's government would go from bad to worse. It takes someone outside the human race to remedy this problem. We have no ability in ourselves to save ourselves. Now we're ready for five trumpet blast. We could use Hal here to blow his trumpet. <laughs> five trumpet blast, which call sinners to enter into the gates of glory. You want to go through the gates of glory when you die? Would you? As I told a gathering in a funeral recently, and I, I'm not embarrassed to do it, though I seek my most gentle tone in saying it. You are not justified by simply dying. By simply dying does not make you one of God's angels or you automatically go to heaven and be with all your friends, kind of a Christless heaven, and it's just a reunion. No, no, no. That what we have to consider is that getting into God's presence, into his heaven, an eternal kingdom, for that heavenly place is coming down to this earth, this earthly kingdom. All right, let's get the first blast of the trumpet. Verses 21 and 22. Now we're going to do some real close examination on these verses, so I hope you're going to have to have your brains uh, screwed down very tightly and don't let them wander. First of all, what we want to notice is that in Christ, God has provided the righteousness which he requires. See that? Here's how. Look at those two words. Look at those first two words. But now. What do they say? What are you doing when you use the word but? It's a turn. It's a turn. Turn of the corner. Turn of the corner theologically. Turn of the corner. It's a bridge over a spiritual gorge. All of this condemnation that we all face because of our sinful condition. But it's here that we turn this theological corner, and it's an important one. But draws our attention to a contrast the Apostle Paul has been saying. In Romans 1.18 to 3.20, it's quite clear. He's taken us to the bottom of the pit of human depravity. And there's no way out and not a shred of human goodness that can form a rope or a ladder to escape. The darkness of human sin. And then he says, now. Another three-letter word. It's important. Now what? Now the arrival of Jesus Christ. He's here. He showed up. And is that ever important? Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous expositor in Britain, he just put it in a sentence like this, and I put it down. Now, this thing that has happened has changed everything. Jesus Christ. Here now is the way of salvation from the wrath to which our sin has subjected us. That's why we need Christ. Because God's wrath is upon us. It's not to make us our better selves. It is more on this later. <laughs> the righteousness which God requires is found. Oh, I got left out a knot hole. It's not found. It's not found in any system of law keeping whatsoever. Look at the word righteousness. This is one of some very, very important words here. You don't know these words? I hope I can be of some measure of help to introduce you to them. Righteousness and justification and redemption and propitiation. These words must be mastered. The word righteousness immediately comes to our attention. It appears 35 times in Romans. Four times in the section, well, from uh, verse 21 to verse 26. <clears throat> now, you need to understand this about righteousness. It can be just a little bit of a challenge. We... I don't know how far your thoughts go. You may think of a musical group, uh, the Righteous Brothers. No, get that out of your mind. Um, you may think of other kinds of 
It's often used as a pejorative of self-righteousness, but what is it? Whenever the word righteousness appears, it's going to be one of three things. These are closely connected one another. Get this. One of three things. It is that which God is. It's who God is. It's used that way. It's used the way to say this is, <clears throat> this is what God does. This is what is right. Goodness is what he is. That's righteousness. All the time, he's righteous. He's good. Everything, he, in all his actions and all of his thinking, he's perfect. It's righteous. That's one use. Another use is the righteousness which God demands. What's this? Romans, or excuse me, Matthew 5 and verse 48. Be ye perfect, for I am perfect. How many times have we read through that and stumbled over it and fallen hard? What? We are to be perfect. That's a quality of life that's asked of us. Now, if you feel a little panicky at that point, well, that's not necessarily bad. But this is where the passage is going to take us to show us the way to remedy that situation. And then thirdly, the third way you'll find righteousness used, it's that which God gives. Yes. It's what is needed to please God. And we don't have it in ourselves, but he implants it within us. How does he implant it within us? It is the perfect life that he implants within us. And that for all who believe, receive that. Now, I hope I'm not being too coy there. That is the person of Christ. But it is that which God gives to us. It comes from the outside of us. We don't generate it within ourselves. So here this is. Now, we're still looking at these two verses. Verse 21, 22. Something is so important here because it says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God is manifested. Now, how so? Well, it is in Christ. But then he goes on to speak to the fact that this righteousness, this righteousness, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What's that mean? You know your Old Testament? I'll fly over it here for you to show you where the Old Testament speaks so loud and clear with regard to the manifestation or to the degree to which God's righteousness has been put out there. That if anything comes through in the Old Testament, if you read it with any kind of attention, serious attention, that you notice that the sacrificial system sits right in the middle of things, doesn't it? Every time you, you can't, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, oh my, you are in a butcher shop from, through the book of Leviticus and so forth. Sacrifices were designed not for salvation. No one was ever saved by taking an animal and cutting its carotid and having that animal be a substitute. But God gave to that animal, he gave to it something that would serve as kind of a check writing system. That was a substitute for the sinner. Not fully adequate, but adequate enough for the time being. So sacrifices were designed to produce in Israel the immediate response would be this. Sin means death. 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 Thousands of times that would have purposely have gone across every mind in Israel. That was their national, part of their national identity. And so sin means death. You had, now, I don't mean to overlook this. What else does the Old Testament do? It gives predictions with regarding the coming Messiah. That's how he's, he's saying in the Law and the Prophets, what, what, Christ wasn't manifested, but I can tell you this, we had predictions of his coming. Oh, Isaiah 53, love it, love it, love it. Oh, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. There is the prediction in no uncertain terms. And then we have the institutions of the Old Testament. They're rich with these mess this message of salvation. How could you miss it? Passover. No blood on the doorpost, you're in trouble. So that Israel, as they moved out from Egypt toward the promised land. And then there was the tabernacle. 
Oh, was that ever magisterial. And you know where we are with this passage? We're really in the Holy of Holies on this passage. Because when you go from the courtyard in the outside, then you go to the holy place where the lampstand was located and the, the bread was located and the altar of incense was located. And then you go in, only the priest once a year would go in to that holy of holies. For there the blood of the animal was sprinkled on that mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, over which were the wings of the cherubim. That was the spot, ground zero. Oh, so it was manifested in the Old Testament. It was there. And then there's, to, we don't have time to pursue this, then and then all of the commandments of the Old Testament. God says, do this, don't do that. Do this, go out of your way. If you see your neighbor's donkey fall in a ditch, help him get it out. Don't just look the other way, I'm paraphrasing. And you go through Deuteronomy and you find all these laws. And may I just make this one aside statement here with regard to do you want to know why the world has hated Israel so much? Pause here. Hit the pause button. <clears throat> God gave to Israel his holy law, revealing himself in no uncertain terms explicitly. There's no way to God but by sacrifice for sin. And your lives must come into compliance with what God. If you want to meet God, you got to meet him at the shedding of blood. And when a, in a world that was worshiping demons, demons, not to say that there weren't those who believed in that God's revelation had not started them to think and respond in, to God's grace, but still, and you know what? The world has never given, forgiven Israel for what God chose to do through them. All right. No extra charge for that, but just keep that in mind as you think through all of this nonsense going on, what even at the White House last night. We've lost our ever-loving minds. All right. So, having been manifested, the, it is the visible in concrete form. Still with me? Verses 21, 22. It was veiled before the incarnation of Christ. No, we had theophanies. We had where God made himself manifest, but not in the person of Christ, not the Christ who was formed in the womb of Mary. So he broke into time, and he stands there now. I won't go into much of the language issue here, but for those who you know anything about the Greek language, the perfect tense used is used here, which is pregnant with this idea that now, this moment, with continuing and abiding results. That's why I say he broke into time, and he stands present. This is important. Let's get on down through the passage. So the only way to get this righteousness, as he says here, preview of what is going to be the hammer on the nail here to get this righteousness requires faith in Jesus Christ. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for those who believe. It's a faith in Jesus righteousness. And this faith in Jesus righteousness, it is it is. This God grants then the moral perfection that he requires to be with him forever because of this moral perfection that's in Jesus Christ. And by faith we receive that. More on that. Secondly, let's get the next trumpet blast. Ready for it? Verse 23. Did you ever memorize this verse? It was one of the first verses I memorized. I was wanting to be an evangelist in my day. My was early conversion. I had people who, and I had to memorize this. You ever do the ABCs and the Roman, all of sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess, and so forth, get the gospel. And what was this? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Here it is. Let's look at it. Here's the offer is universal because the problem is universal. Don't miss that little all. The reason for this need is that we've all sinned. There's no distinction. Now, Paul makes that point here. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. That's been really a big issue already in the book of Romans. That the Jew, the Jew would have thought, hey, we're good. We're right. We're going first class because we've got the law. And they thought perhaps by being carekeepers of the law and keeping the law, this is what many had fallen into in Phariseeism. No, 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 no. So there is a difference. There's no difference, I should say, between the pagan, the moralist, the religious man. And there are varying degrees of guilt. 
It's like a prison. You don't have all the same kind of prisoners in the same cell block. You have the degrading and varying. So we all fall short. I'll never forget the time that I was, pardon me for being mildly sentimental. I've reviewed my, emotion, my, my emotions and motivations on this. I remember when I was converted. I won't say more, but I will say this, that all oh, that dear evangelist who preached that night, finally God just, God had, he, came, he tracked me down, got me. I remember this illustration. I've embellished it a little bit. This gorge, this gorge, 40, can I say it's 42 feet? Let's say down below this gorge, there is just all of these crocodiles on this sandbar in the sun, hundreds of them. And we've got to get over this gorge. I get, my, I get back and I get my best jump, feeble as it is. I get out there and I'm way short. Lunchtime, lunchtime for crocodiles. Oh, but wait a minute. Let's get, let's get a, a, a class, we're a long jumper. Let's just say, let's get the, let's get the best that the college and, and semi-pro uh, runners and jumpers, let's say that best jump of, oh, let's say, let's put it up no, 25 feet. Uh, high school, they can do that. And you get your best. He gets his best jump. Oh, it's lunchtime down below. But then we'll get, we'll get the best all-time broad jump, running broad jump. Best all-time. 32 feet. Now, it's 42. Got to make it. Oh, the crocodiles are feasting today. Folks, none of us have within ourselves the capability of going over this gorge which separates us from an infinitely righteous and holy God. None of us, none of us. What's this gospel about? It's that we're all sinners. It's not about self-worth. Ooh, we have been fed that by the spoons full, shovels full for decades now. Self-worth, self-worth, self-worth. Got to learn to love yourself. Be your best self. Or uh, if I can just get my love cup filled, that's what I need. Oh, God loves me. That fills me up. That fulfills me. Personality differences. Oh, that's where we can come. We need to be saved because the wrath of God is upon us all. And none of us can bridge that gorge. This is all in sin. All have sinned. And Jesus Christ is the standard of perfection. You ever wondered about that little, it's not exactly a tag. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what that glory of God is? It's the person of Christ. It's his perfection. As God has fully revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And that's the standard. And if you don't meet that standard, you're crocodile food. And this is what we are brought to see to the third trumpet blast. You ready for it? Verse 24. Let's read it. Notice. It says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh my, that's some theological filet mignon right there in two pieces and how we're going to eat it. I will, let's run at it. In Christ, in Christ, God credits us, third trumpet sound, in Christ, God credits us with the righteousness which he requires. This is good news here, folks. This is good news. That the one and only way of dealing with the universal need among men is now set forth. And what is it? To, in order to get put in right standing before God and not become crocodile food, we have here what is the seat of the doctrine of justification by faith. All right. Thank you, thank you, Taylor, for getting us right up close on top of this last week and, and your work in, in Galatians. But what is this? This justification, notice this, it's absolutely free. Now we've got to get some matters sorted out here. 
First of all, we have this great word, justified. Uh, there's this little teaching thing that's used sometimes. says, well, it means justified, never sin. Uh, no, uh-uh, convenient, but we have sinned. And that's what makes justification all the more glorious as to what's happened. How can we as sinners be as perfect as God? It's been stated this way. God is able to give us all of his perfections. His righteousness can be credited to our account so that we can enter into heaven immediately at death. That's it. That's it. Immediately. Because of this imputed righteousness. Imputed. To be declared righteous. Not to make righteous. To be declared righteous. And so he acquits the guilty sinner. And so therefore, God can declare righteous on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. And it is by grace that he does it. Here's another one of those words we've got to put in the vocabulary here. Justification and righteousness and propitiation and redemption. And we put a grace in here. We're going to master this. What is this grace? This grace means that it's absolutely free. How free is God's grace? How free? It's absolutely free. There's no tag, price tag on it. The price has been paid. One writer has put it this way. James Boyce got a nice, very helpful treatment of this passage. He says, grace will never be withheld because of anything we may have done, however evil it was, nor will it be lessened because of that or any other evil we may do. Grace, grace. We're justified as a gift by this grace. We can't work it off. This is kind of a old homely once upon a time story, but I can remember this very well. Uh, we had a program in high school in the 50s, and it was taken very, very seriously, and it was called ROTC, Reserved Officers Training Corps. Not compared to what Ed and others went through with basics and went through in Vietnam, but when you got through with it, after about three years, you did learn a few things. However, and, the, and I can tell you this, that those who were in charge of this program in ROTC were World War II veterans. I remember Sergeant Campbell and Sergeant Frith. You didn't want to mess with them. Hash stripes all the way up the sleeve. All right, get back to what happens. You know what? They, we had in those days, this probably wouldn't go over well today because it would really violate people's self-worth and offend people. You could get demerits. You, does that word familiar? You, you, demerits. I mean, if a teacher, wanted, you smart off, you were late to class or whatever, and so demerits could be given in, the, in military class. We had classes where we had to go through everything and march right and not goof off, not wear white socks with your uniform and so on. And so, but they had something that could teach you a lesson. You could, you would be asked, no, you would be told. When you get some demerits in, in ROTC, you'd have to come after school. You get to spend a little more time with the sergeants there. They'll be watching you. And you would take this M1 rifle. It was a heavy thing. And you take this M1 rifle and you put it on your shoulder. And I can see it, the walkway. I can see it now. And there would be guys who would be just... Ten times, twenty times, thirty times, thirty minutes, an hour, depending on how much you misbehaved, <laughs> could be alone. You would be marching for all eternity to mark off all the demerits of the sinfulness. You would never be able to qualify to get into God's heaven. Never, never whatsoever. Now let's go a little further with this because I want to look at this rich word here, the other piece of filet mignon. And that is through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you simply what comes, jumps up and out at you when this word redemption. It's ownership. It was, it's one of those picture words that's used, propitiations like that. Anyone in the audience who would have heard this letter read for the first time in the Roman church, probably a house church or multiple house churches, Apolutrosis, there are about three words that are used in this little word family for redemption, meaning to purchase, to buy out, 
That's a combination of words to purchase out from a market. It was used in the slave market. Everyone knew that word in that context for sure. That to go to the slave market, it's a brutal thought in sight. And if you've seen it in movies which attempt to recreate the indignity of it and the awfulness of a human being being placed up before other people and being pointed out of their, their physical attributes and so forth. So you would come forward with a sum of money and you would offer that sum of money for that human being. And to do that was a redemption. You bought them and you owned them. That's why this word was used. To picture this, here we are in this slave market of sin. All of us, all of us, and Jesus Christ stepped into time and space and gave his precious blood, his life for our sins that we could be purchased out of that and be owned by him. By the way, there is some, there is some sanctification truth downloaded in this when Paul gets to it over in 1 Corinthians when he is chiding, chiding the, the Corinthians. They lived in that immoral culture and... Oh, no need time to go into the details, but it was awful. And he was saying, listen, keep yourself morally pure. You've been redeemed. You're bought. You are owned by Christ. How dare you take yourself to those places and see those things and do those things? You're not your own. You're, being a, you're, you're betraying him. All right, so there's that word. So the substitution of Jesus Christ in our place as guilty sinners sets us free from sin's bondage to serve God. There it is. There it is. Now we've, one other thing we need to look at here is the fact that this free, this grace, and this redemption, it's free. Christ paid the price. Here's the summation. Justification is this legal relationship that we get before God when he declares us right in his sight. Totally right, totally perfect. Redemption is ownership. But we have something else we need to look at, and we get the fourth trumpet sound. Ready for it? Fourth trumpet sound. Verse 25 and 26. Look at them. For they say, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received, to be received by faith. Here it is. This propitiation, get familiar with it if you don't know it. We have young people in the audience. Maybe this is one of your first or early on introductions to it. I keep thinking of young people because I was 14 years of age when I was hearing some of these things from good preaching in a pulpit and from evangelists. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Christ, the righteousness, the fourth trumpet blast, in Christ, the righteousness which God requires has been made public. That's what he wants to emphasize here. When we started out with that word now, now, now at the present time, time is filled filled with what we see is the redemptive work of Christ because of the cross. It's true in time and space. Well, here we are, made public. Consider the price that was paid. You, you have to notice the language here that it was, this was to show God's righteousness, to put it out there, to make it public. What is this propitiation? Illusterion. It's in the Old Testament. That's the Greek word, and you'll find another word for it used in the Old Testament when the priest went into the Holy of Holies with the blood on the Day of Atonement to put it upon the lid, the mercy seat, of the, uh, that was the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant. And that mercy seat, it was called the Illustarion. This is the place where propitiation took place. That's where the satisfaction of God's wrath took place. Uh, some would put it this way, God's not mad at you anymore. <laughs> and for Israel, you can, you can function as his accepted people for another year. Now, of course, it has to be personalized personalize that God has put the wrath upon that animal out there so that you, in the, in the time being, you get this check-writing privilege. You get it credited to your account, but that's, that's just the check. The money in the bank is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So get this word propitiation, the mercy seat. Christ became 
the meeting place of God and man where the mercy seat is available because of the sacrifice of his son. Don't tell anybody you weren't told what propitiation means. You got that? We may catch you out here in the fellowship hall and say, what is propitiation? On that day of atonement, that mercy seat and that blood on it is that Israel was acceptable to God for another year. That was part of the plan. You know, there is one brief illustration of this. We move along, but you remember the story of Hosea and Gomer, the prophet? Oh, you're a little rusty on it. God tells Hosea, you've got to marry this woman, and she's going to be, I should have said this delicately, she's going to be a prostitute. She's going to be unfaithful to you. And it's not going to be good for you. And this is where Hosea's life became an object lesson. And so she goes out with other men, and she gets passed around. And finally, she ends up in a slave market. She's used goods. So they want to sell her off for a slave, a sex slave. And guess who comes to the marketplace? Hosea, her husband. You know what he does? He pays the price to buy her and take her back. What God was doing is, hey, Israel, hey, that's you. You're like his wife, Gomer, as was her name. And you, and what has been done for you, here's a picture of, of God's, God's wrath wrapped in love. He loves you. That's propitiation. That's propitiation. And Jesus Christ took the brutal, the brutal death of dying in our place for our sins. Movies can never get near this. Never can, they they want to play up the physical aspect of it as if just the physicality of the pain and the torture, that's it. Did Jesus get tortured as much as anybody ever got? No. But it was what he was going through in actually coming in contact with and taking upon himself the deep, dark, awful sinfulness of our sin. That's what happened. So here it is, the greatest problem. Now, there are other factors here. And I have to, let me put it this way. This greatest problem of all of, is how to get God to sinners. And what he says there is that he demonstrated his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins. You ever wonder what that means, passed over? Well, optics, optics. It could have looked like that God was going easy on sin because he didn't come and judge it right away. Whether where in Israel or outside of Israel, the world went on in its folly. And Israel, oh my, multiplied folly there. But he passed over. He didn't come down in a finalized judgment. Why? Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins that he be, what would happen? That so that it may be just in the justifier. God is really just. There's no flaw in God. And he's the one who makes us right and perfect because of Christ before him. So don't, don't get confused by the optics of it. Jesus Christ is now before our mind's eye to see as the one who propitiated the wrath of God and became the <coughs> redeemer and to whom we belong. This is it. This is the core. That's the truth. And then let's get to the fifth and final blow of the trumpet. There is only one way to receive God's forgiveness and eternal life in Christ, and that's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that's, that's evangelism 101, isn't it? Say, I know that. We came here to hear that. You did. Here it is. Let's think about it. Look at it. We come back to faith. It started this way back in the early verses. We're back to it again. That's the point that he's making. And in chapter 4, it's just going to be dripping with this issue of faith and talking about Abraham's faith. But salvation by grace through faith alone, it excludes what? It excludes all human boasting. And this pride thing, which is in the background of all this, the pride. Somebody said that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody ill except the one who has it. <laughs> pride. And that's why we're in this deep, dark hole and that God in his mercy comes and delivers us. 
And we can't. We can't do anything. How many systems, all systems, all systems of, of religion, it's always some work system. I had a phone call from a lady in North Carolina who somehow got connected with this this morning minute and she built up all these questions and she was in a system whose kingdom hall is in our neighborhood but she had gotten mixed up in this system and it was all about gathering works 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 and she just confessed she said I'm depressed I stayed depressed it's just I can never find relief this problem of guilt it's awful works 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 that's the way systems function outside of this holy of holy, this Christian message that we see in this passage. By faith alone, we receive the merits of Jesus Christ. Maybe I could put it this way. And I want to, I want to give a summation at this point as well. It is by faith alone. It's by faith alone we are declared no longer guilty of the legal issues between us and God. It's by faith alone that no wrath is no longer against us. The personal issues between us and God are settled. It's by faith alone that we belong to God. He sets his love upon us in a unique way. And all of this is because it's by grace through faith that we're placed in this right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what faith does. Not faith in faith. I want to say this before I conclude, but I, I have to put something out here. Something that's troubled me for some time. I hear it often. I, I wish people wouldn't be using ask Jesus into your heart or commit your life to Jesus. That's not what it's about. Now, am I saying that you, if you say, uh-oh, that's what I did. Oh, I'm not saved. Can we have an imitation? Uh, um, you know, God's greater than our confused vocabulary. He's greater. He knows in the intent of our heart if we're coming to him to ask for forgiveness of sin. And we may say, well, ask Jesus into your heart. I heard one preacher one time to say, and I think there may be some theological significance to meaning to this, is that you wouldn't want to invite Jesus into the sewer. <laughs> into your heart we need a new heart we need forgiveness and commit your life to Christ that wait that's okay that's that's the result of coming to Christ oh that's enough I just what's wrong with saying believe transfer your trust what, what what's wrong is that outdated no okay that's all I want to say there let's put it this way I conclude let me tell you this story I came upon this I don't know. It's not a true story, but I think it certainly is, really helps out here. This is little girl. She was blind. She was on the 10th floor. She smelled the smoke and felt the heat. And she came running over to a window. And a voice said, jump. But she couldn't see anything. Then she heard a fireman yell, jump, jump. She said, I'm scared to jump. I can't see. The fireman said, if you don't jump, you're going to die. Take the risk and jump. It's bad enough to have to jump from 10 stories high. But to jump when you can't see where you're jumping, well, that's terror. And in the midst of the chaos and confusion, she heard another voice. Darling, jump. I've got you. She smiled and said, okay, Daddy, I'll jump. Oh, and everything. Okay, Daddy. Yes, Jesus Christ is inviting us to jump. We have his word. We know who he is. We know what he did. And he says, jump. I'll receive you. That's the act of faith. Frank Mercer is the county chaplain for first responders. Ed knows him well. This is first responders in the South Metro area. He took an interest in a police officer in the canine division in the city of Tyrone. He was there for five years. Numerous conversations over a period of time occurred between Frank Mercer and this police officer. He was a rough guy. Got himself into some real difficulties. Went through a couple of marriages. And he, uh, he just, he didn't think he was worthy to get into God's heaven. 
As Frank talked to him over a period of time, this was a real blockage to him. And just recently, I mean, we're talking maybe months, less than a month, Frank, I know Frank, and Ed, he knows Frank, spoke at his son's funeral. That's quite a ministry among the first responders. Frank told this story. I'll tell you where. And that he got a call, it was just a few weeks back, he got a call from this young man whose name was Eric Minix. He said he and his wife, Trina, had both put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. It was shortly after that that Eric Minix, being the officer he was and a first responder so trained, he got in a pursuit of an automobile that had been stolen and followed this automobile over into Alabama. And so Eric gets out of the car and begins to pursue the perpetrator. Well, another police officer was also in pursuit and crested the hill and immediately, involuntarily hit and killed Eric Minix. Frank Mercer told this story just recently within the last few weeks about this young man. Eric Minix. Frank Mercer, by God's grace, had been, had stood in the gap and had told, given the gospel to one who saw himself unworthy to enter into God's heaven. His life had been a wreck only in his early 30s. But yet, God worked in a supernatural way. I've heard that. When I heard that story, I thought, maybe has God placed some, an Eric Minix in my life we don't know what's going to happen the next day minute week year are there eric minutes minutes in your life in your neighborhood in your social circle i don't know but god now holds us responsible all of us we've been into the holy of holies of the gospel of jesus christ and no one comes into his presence other than the perfect righteousness of jesus christ thank you lord thank you for your salvation. Thank you, Father, for saving us. And Father, pray now for those people that you will put in our paths, people that we don't perhaps even know yet, but maybe we do know we've been speaking with. Oh God, do a marvelous work of grace to show them the hope that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.